of the cynics and the doubters, the thing they forget is that liberty and freedom and democracy are so very precious that you who do not fight to win them once and stop, you do not do that. Liberty and freedom and democracy are prizes awarded only to those people who fight to win them and then keep fighting eternally to hold them. The people of America agree with that. They believe that liberty is worth fighting for. And if they're obliged to fight, they will fight eternally to hold it. This duty we owe, not to ourselves alone, but to the many dead who died to gain our freedom for us, to make the world a place where freedom can live and grow. Good to see you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 14? We're in this series that we're talking about what the Bible calls Christian freedom or Christian liberty. In James chapter 1 verse 25, it says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. What kind of liberty is James, the brother of Jesus, what is he talking about? Is this religious freedom? Nope. Is this the freedom of speech? Nope. Gun rights? Nope. See, those are the things that we think about when we think of uh, patriotic freedom. Uh, And those things are great, but this goes way beyond that. You see, a Christian can have Christian liberty even if he lives in a communist country. Now, this topic of Christian liberty, uh, unfortunately, has gotten a very bad rap. Uh, Over the years, uh, this topic has become synonymous with conversations about alcohol, how much I can drink. Now, we will get to that in this series. But unfortunately, this topic is often used only to figure out how much I can get away with. But before this topic of Christian liberty or Christian freedom is anything about what we can do, this isn't a freedom to do something first. This is a freedom from something at first. This isn't a freedom to do something at first. This is first a freedom from something. Well, from what? Last week, we discussed Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. If you remember that one, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. The word there is to guard, to to protect that freedom, and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So before this is a freedom to do anything, Biblical freedom is a freedom from something. From what? From slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to two things. Slavery from sin and slavery to the law. Slavery to a list of do's and don'ts. The two dangerous ditches on both sides of this very narrow road that's called Christian liberty. We're free from first sin. Sin. I know it sounds good to do it at first, it makes sense to go do it, but then the Bible says that you become a slave to that sin. If you've ever told a lie to your mom when you were a kid, you know about that. Hey mom, can I go watch a movie over at Brian's house? Well, what movie are you going to watch? Um, Bambi? (laughs) (laughs) And you go watch A Night of the Living Dead next door at Brian's house. (laughs) You come back and mom says, well, how was the movie? Um, good. <laughs> what was your favorite part of Bambi? Um, the ending? <laughs> you know the deer dies in that, right? Um, yeah. So you become a slave to that lie, and you keep having to feed the lie, and you don't notice until it's too late. And Christ died so that you wouldn't have to go back into the slavery of sin again. He paid such a high price, too high of a price, for you to go back to that again. So stop it. But also, he died to set you free from the other thing, not just the dangerous ditch of sin, but also the dangerous ditch of the law, the list of do's and don'ts of of we would call that legalism. 
Because Christ died on the cross, Christ's people are free to eat shrimp cocktail, (laughs) free to eat bacon and pork rinds and get heart attacks. You're free to eat chicken feet if you want to, fundamentally because Christ has set us free from both of these dangerous ditches of sin and of slavery to the law, slavery to the list of do's and don'ts, slavery to legalism. But I'm sure that you've noticed that your day yesterday wasn't scripted out for you was it? The Bible didn't script out yesterday what you were going to wear, what you were going to eat, where you were going to go, what you were going to drink. That wasn't scripted out for you. There's so much in life that is not clarified specifically. There aren't specifics. Of course, there are are parameters, there are boundaries, there are principles in God's Word, and we're going to get to some of those. But generally, God says, I'm not going to micromanage every part of your life. He says, this is who I am in Scripture. This is my character. He reveals His character in His Word, and then He reveals what He has done for us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, God eternal in the past, to earth to live a perfect life and never sin one time, essentially fulfills the law. No one could do that. Dies on the cross for sin. Three days later, comes back alive again, and any person who puts their faith or trust their belief in this Savior is then wrapped with Jesus's robes of of righteousness, not because we're righteous at all, but because He is righteous, and all of a sudden, we become children of God. We essentially take God's last name, and we become heirs of the things that are in heaven, and He says, I'm going to show you who I am. Here's my character. Here's what I've done for you. And now this is who you are. You are a child of God. In light of all of those things, everything that you know about those things, go live your life. I'm not going to micromanage all the little things. And so there's so much freedom that Christians have to make a decision in areas where it's not scripted in the Bible. And this is such a wonderful thing. But here's the key of liberty. This is important. The key of liberty is it allows you to make a decision where it's not black and white in Scripture, but it also allows another person sitting right next to you to make the opposite decision and them be right too. That's hard. That's where there can be some some issues. That can be where things kind of get a little difficult because everybody's got opinions. In a room this size, we have 1.2 billion opinions in this room. We are a very opinionated bunch in this crowd. And so we have such differing and very opposing opinions in these areas that aren't scripted out that it can kind of become difficult or challenging or even become a problem or conflict or causing division. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, My first year of college, I uh, ended up in uh, a school in the Bible Belt. If you're not familiar with the Bible Belt, it's just a part of the country that is very conservative, not necessarily politically, I guess, but just morally very conservative. And many of the churches around where I was took the position that mixed bathing was wrong. And I grew up in Southern California. I had no idea what mixed bathing even was. Do you, do you know what mixed bathing is? Okay, some people are shaking their head now, some are yes. Okay, so let me inform. Mixed bathing is uh, where men and women or boys and girls would swim in the same pool together or swim in the same ocean together. Okay? And I couldn't fathom why anything could be wrong about this. I, I didn't understand. Now, this is one of those unscripted things in Scripture, isn't it? It's not black and it's not white. It's not required or, and it's not, it's not condemned. It's neither one of those. It's one of those in between. And so it's nowhere in there. And I could not imagine why this would be wrong. I grew up doing that. I mean, I, friends in our church, we'd all go over to their house and we'd all go swimming together, boys and girls together. Our youth groups would load up in vans and we'd go to the beach together, boys and girls. I just could not get it at all. So you can imagine the conflict. From where I come from, it's great. And then now where I am, it's wrong. Who's right? Now, being the cocky college student that I was, I was right and they were wrong, okay? But the glory of of liberty, of freedom in God's word is it allows both of us to decide that 
for ourselves within parameters. But what it does not allow for us, it doesn't allow us to put each other down. It doesn't allow them to say, Nathan, you're sinning because you're not following our rules. And liberty also prevents me from saying, you guys are being legalistic just because you're following your conscience. This is the glory of this thing called liberty. Now, you wonder maybe why would God set it up like this? Why, why would it be like this? I already told you last week that if I was designing things, I would have just a long list for all of you to follow. It'd be my way. Now, why didn't God do that? I think there are two reasons that God didn't set it up like that. One, it's because he knows that all of us in this room are different from a spiritual maturity point of view. We are all different in our spiritual maturity. Some of you have been Christians for 60 years. And for 60 years, you have been learning God's word and you've been applying God's word and you are very biblically experienced, making some very good decisions, probably making decisions that you didn't make 30 years ago, but you're making them now because you are very used to listening to, learning God's word and applying it to your life. And then there are some others in our church that are not that way. You're new with that. And so that's kind of the scale of, of being new to applying God's word all the way to being very experienced to applying God's word. Uh, this would be called spiritually mature or spiritually strong. That's not a, a word to use in cockiness. That's just a word to describe what's happened. The Bible would use the word for people who are new in their faith. They're, they're just beginning to learn how to apply God's word to their life. The Bible would use the word weak. That's not a put down. God is continuing to develop them, but that's kind of the terms weak and strong, new in this and applying God's word and very experienced. And everyone in this room is somewhere on that scale. You're somewhere in there. And so you can see why God would give a lot of flexibility in a lot of areas for making decisions in what you would do and how you would do it based on the spiritual maturity of various people within a church. But I think there's another reason also that God set it up like this, giving us freedom, liberty to make decisions in all these areas. The other one would be, well, we're just different. You and I are different. Not from a spiritual point of view, just God made you and me different. You like different music than me. You like country music. I'm normal. I don't. (laughs) It's just the way it is. If it's sinful, God forbids it. Okay, that's clear. If it's, if it's wrong, if it's sinful, God forbids it. But if it's not, then you have the freedom to choose what music you want to listen to. You like to eat this much. I like to eat that much. We're all different. What you like to eat may not be what I like to eat. What's your metabolism? You have a different metabolism than I do. And so God's, I'm not going to micromanage all those little things. You guys just go and live your lives based on who you know, what my character is, what I've done for you. You're a child of God. Everything that you understand about there, go and live, live your life. If you want to dress like that, I guess you're welcome to. If they want to dress like that, I guess they're welcome to. If you want to wear a pantsuit instead of a dress, go for it. Especially if you're a guy, okay? Especially if you're a guy. (laughs) If you live in a cold climate, bundle up. If you live in a hot climate, wear shorts to church. If you live in a certain country or a certain culture where you wear a head covering when you go out, well, then do that. But if you don't, then go bald to church. You can do whatever you decide to do in all of these areas. Now, if you go to your employer and they have a dress code for you, well, see, that falls under a parameter or a principle in God's word where we respect our boss. And so even though you would have the freedom to wear whatever you want to work, You don't because you fall under that principle of honoring and and obeying your employer while you're at work. But then when you get back home, there's no requirements. You can make any decision that you decide to make in that area. And so this is such a great truth that is in Scripture, such a wonderful thing that God has provided for us, but it has been abused ever since it's been clarified in Scripture. And that is the topic of today's sermon, really the abuses of Christian liberty. And that's why I asked you to turn to Romans chapter 14, because they were abusing their Christian liberty, the Christian freedom. They were abusing it. So in Romans chapter 14, we're going to start reading at verse 1. Romans 14 verse 1, it says, now accept the one who is weak. There's that word. We've already studied that word. Listen to that word a little bit, weak. Accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions, 
One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. See, there are vegans in the Bible right there. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands and falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another person regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats, well, he does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Okay, so let's stop right here for a minute. This is describing an issue within the church. It's describing a division within this church in Rome. Now, it's not the type of division that you might imagine. You might imagine that this would be a division between the Jews and the Gentiles because they were both in that church, Jews and Gentiles, just like the Galatian church, same here, some Jews and Gentiles. you think that'd be the area of division, but that was not the area of division. The area of division here was they had all come up with different opinions in areas that weren't clarified in the Bible or clarified by the apostles' teaching. They all had different ideas there. And that's where the division was. And so Paul is writing, giving them some direction. What do you do about these areas where you have different things that are coming at you or different ideas in these areas? And so let's look back at Romans 14, verse 1. It says, now accept the one who is weak. We've already talked about this word. These are people who are new in their faith. They're still learning to apply God's word in their life, not a put-down word. God is still developing them along the way. And these people had come up with, in verse 1, opinions. They all had opinions. This church had 1.2 billion opinions in their church too. Everybody knew what they wanted to do and had an opinion on everything. And so this is where the division comes because it says there in verse 1 that they are to accept the one who is weak. So here's the division. Those who were mature in the church, they had spent a long time studying and applying God's word in their life. They were more mature. They were stronger. They didn't want to accept those ones that were weak. Why? Because they were making the wrong decision. (laughs) just because it wasn't theirs. And those who were over here on the other side, those who were weak, those who were new in their Christian faith, they didn't want to accept those guys well, because they were making the wrong decisions. It wasn't their decision. So you can kind of see what was going on here in the church. And what were the disputes about? What were these conflicts about? Well, verse 2 tells us one of the conflicts. It says, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. So some of the Christians, some of the mature Christians wanted to eat meat, and I'm with them, okay? If you went to our men's breakfast yesterday, we like meat. When we built this place, we put barbecues outside, and we cook meat. We don't waste those things on vegetables. We cook meat on those barbecues out there. And so they wanted to eat meat. And the only reason that they wanted to eat meat is because they were distant from the things that caused the weaker ones to not want to eat meat. See, the weaker ones, they had only been saved for a week or a month, and they were still tied to where that meat came from. If you were a Gentile, you knew what came from idols, and you would just worship that idol two weeks ago. You felt kind of dirty being around that meat. So you're like, I'm just going to eat the vegetables, no meat for me. Now, if you were a Jew, you had grown up with an insane amount of requirements regarding diet. And there was a lot of meat that was restricted. You couldn't eat meat that had blood in it. You couldn't eat meat from an animal that had been strangled. And so if these weaker Christians said, well, I'm not going to eat the meat, and they would push that meat away and only eat the vegetables. And so that's what's going on in the church. And so in verse 3, it says, the one who eats the medium rare T-bone, steak, sautéed mushrooms on top, is not to regard with contempt the one who's eating the salad. I know it's easy for you meat eaters to do, but don't eat it. Don't do that. The one who eats broccoli is not to judge the one who's eating the filet mignon because God has accepted him too. 
Both of them were accepted by God. Don't judge each other because God has accepted both of them. They had both made their decisions based upon their conscience, the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They had both made a decision that they believed was right for them. It wasn't clear in the apostles' teaching on purpose because God knew that there were many different types of people and personalities and spiritual growths that were happening, and so he didn't make that clear in Scripture so that people could make their own decisions in those areas. God knows our hearts, and so don't judge the other side. So then he goes to a, another example. Same topic, same exact topic of people having different decisions and choices, but just a different example. In verse 5, he goes to one person regards one day above another, and another person regards every day alike. Now this is talking about holidays, making a particular day special, you know, making it above another day, or not celebrating the holiday, just making them all the same. And so if you were a Gentile, and you were new to your Christian faith, these guys did not want to celebrate the national holidays because they were all evil. They were all tied to those gods. And they knew that when their family was getting drunk and partying, it was just bad. And so they didn't want to celebrate that day. And so they wanted to make every day the same. We're not celebrating that. But a Gentile family who had been a Christian for a very long time was so distant from what the holidays were about. That maybe their entire family was saved, and so now that there's none of that uh, cultural aspect. They just like spending time together. And so they wanted to put one day above the other. They wanted to celebrate that holiday, while those guys didn't want to celebrate that holiday. Maybe an example that'd be kind of like that for us would be like Halloween. You know, there's some Christians that want to celebrate Halloween and some that decide not to celebrate Halloween. That might be a little example like that. But then also on the Jewish side of that, there were some, some great Jewish traditions. And if you're familiar with the Jewish calendar, there are a lot of special days in the Jewish calendar where families get together, they spend a lot of time together, eat special things, and it's really special for those families. And so there were some Jewish Christians who still wanted to celebrate those holidays even though they weren't mandated because they had an emotional connection and a tie to it and they even thought it helped them remember and think about God a little better. And so they wanted to put that day above other days. But there were some mature Jewish families who realized that they weren't under that list of do's and don'ts and that those days weren't mandated anymore. You, you could do it, but you didn't have to do it. And so this year... I don't want to set up the Christmas tree, you know. This year, I don't want to have everybody over, so let's, let's not celebrate that one this year. We just want to make every day the same. We don't want to put one day above the other. We don't want to celebrate that holiday, okay? So you can kind of see the things that are going on in this church. And so chapter 14 talks about some ways, though, that this church was abusing the freedom that they had because of Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, the four ways to abuse your liberty. There are more, <laughs> but I picked four. And the first way to abuse your Christian freedom, your Christian liberty, is to only welcome other Christians who agree with you. Only welcome other Christians who agree with your take on things. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> only if they agree with me, then I'm up for that. Okay, look back at verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, meaning the one that you don't agree with, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. These are just opinions. Verse 3, the one who eats the meat is, is not to regard with contempt. Don't try to separate from the vegans in the place. Okay? And the ones who don't eat the meat, they're not to be judgy of the ones who've decided to do that. They have both have chosen. They've chosen from their liberty what they were going to do, what they were going to eat, uh, who they were going to swim with, uh, the holidays that they were going to celebrate. Don't try to separate from the people that made different decisions than you. And I know that's easy to do sometimes, but don't, don't do that. But the problem is that this church in Rome, they were doing that. The ones who were more mature created a division right down the middle. And they said, you're not coming to my small group because you celebrate that holiday. And those down here, in the same way, these weaker Christians who are newer in their faith, hey, you can't come to our Barnabas group because you went and drank that. 
And so that was the division that was happening here in the church, and it was obviously very un- unhealthy. And that's what it says here in verse 3, that God has accepted both of these people. They were welcomed in Jesus Christ, even though you're not welcoming each other, Jesus Christ has welcomed both of them. God is not going to leave these people that making the same decisions for the rest of their life. He will develop them over time. But for the time being, God is patient with Christian growth. And so should we, we should be patient in Christian growth too. I bet that you're making different decisions today than you were 10 years ago. Are you? I hope you are. There's some Christians who aren't. There are some Christians who have been Christians for 20 years, and they're still weaker Christians because they have not gotten into the habit or the practice of listening to God's Word, understanding what it means, and then living, practicing, putting it into their life. They're still weaker Christians. But hopefully, you are making different decisions today than you were 10 years ago because God has continued to develop you on this track from weaker to stronger from weaker to more mature, and you're somewhere on that track, and God was patient with you, the point is, and so you should be patient with other Christians as well. So when it comes to these topics of things that are gray, when I say gray, I mean they're not black, and they're not white. They're not restricted in Scripture, sin, wrong. They're not required in Scripture, something that is mandated to do as a, as a believer. They're not black, they're not white. They land somewhere in between. That would be a gray area. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when we spend time around people who think different than us, he, he rubs the rough edges off of those people. But also, he rubs the rough edges off of us. And so the way that God develops Christians, from weaker to stronger. The way that he does that is by having us spend time around other people that bug us. That's how God does it. Sorry, bad news. Okay? You don't want to separate from those people. You can't come to my group. You can't come to my group. You can't come into my ministry. Because the whole benefit of being around other Christians that make decisions different than you is that it helps them develop and it helps you develop too. You would be killing your own spiritual growth by creating this division, and that was happening here, obviously, in this church in Rome. The second way that you can abuse your liberty is to encourage other Christians to go against their conscience. Encourage other Christians to go against their conscience. Look at verse 13 of Romans 14. It says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. We understand the context of this in these days, these holidays and the meat that we're eating. But rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Well, what would the obstacle be? What's a stumbling block? Look at verse 23 of chapter 14. But he who doubts, meaning he's not sure if he should eat the meat or not. He's still trying to figure out if this meat is okay. He's not settled with it in his conscience yet. He who doubts if he should eat the meat is condemned if he eats the meat because he is eating not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. So let me put this in a scenario that maybe you can kind of envision what's happening. First century church you got a mature Christian family in this church, and uh, there's a brand new family that comes to their church. And the brand new family has kids the same age as this kind of mature Christian family. And like, oh, yeah, you have to come over to our house. We have a pool at our house. We'll do lunch. The kids can get to know each other. So glad you're at our church. And so this new family comes, and this uh, mature family is excited to meet someone new. And so the kids are all swimming, and, and they're, getting, uh, they're getting lunch ready. And so everybody sits around the big round table, and and they proudly put down the, the meal at each person's plate, and it's nice, big, medium-rare hamburger. Oh, man, with uh, some grilled onions, some bacon, some cheese. I mean, onion rings on there if you like Carl's Jr. I mean, mm. And that new family looks at the plate, and they take their plate, And push it away from them. And they said, we can't eat this. 
And so in the back of the minds of the mature couple, they're like, oh no, it's some of those, <laughs> some of those people. And so they say, well, uh, sorry, so sorry about that. Um, how about we just eat it now and you can go back to your diet tomorrow. I don't have anything else to get. The stores are all closed. It's just meat anyway. It's no big deal. So why don't we just have it now and you can go back at it tomorrow. If that new family, kind of feeling pressured, not knowing what to do in that situation, they trust these people a little bit because they're stronger Christians, but they're not really sure about this meat and where it came from. If they eat that meat, verse 23 says, they sin. And we're going to get to in a couple weeks that those Christians who encourage them to do that, they also are sinning by encouraging them to do that. And Jesus even adds to this conversation. Jesus cared so much about this exact topic that in Matthew 18, I have it here on the screen, Matthew 18, Jesus addresses this topic of encouraging other people to go against their conscience. In Matthew 18, verse 6, it says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, little ones meaning new Christians, they're the weaker Christians, they're new in the faith, if anyone causes them to stumble, that's the same word that we read in verse 13, stumbling block. The cheeseburger with onions could be a stumbling block in this scenario. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Better for you to be dead than for you to be doing that to these other Christians. And what we get from that is that our Christian liberty, your freedom is not the priority. You get that? Your freedom to swim with whoever you want. Your freedom to listen to whatever music you want. Your freedom to uh, celebrate the holiday is not the priority. The priority is the spiritual growth of Christians that are around you. That is the priority. The priority is the growth, the development of other Christians that are around you. That's the priority. Let me put this in a scenario or an example that maybe you can identify with. Uh, my, my daughter, I asked, I asked Noelle if I could tell this story about her. I guess that's the price you pay for being the daughter of a pastor. She happens to be in this service, so I'm not looking at her. All right. and, uh, and so she said, yes, I could after I paid her $100. And so, here's a, so Noelle has a very sensitive heart. She's sensitive to things. She's sensitive to things that I could never imagine ever being a problem. I, I could never imagine. She has a really a sensitivity to things that her brother loves them. She just realizes her heart and mind goes the wrong place. She's around those things. It's amazing how you can have two kids being so different, you know? So then when it comes to like movies in, in our house, I think you'd agree that within biblical parameters, our family has a lot of freedom to watch a lot of movies, right? Within biblical guidelines, we could pick any movie we want to watch, but we don't. We turn to Noel and say, can we watch it? And Noel will say, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. And so we'll watch a trailer. We'll watch like some YouTube reviewer talking about the movie. We might read some written description of the movie. And after all that, we turn back to Noel. Can we watch it? And a majority of the time, the answer is no. A majority of the time, she says, I just, just not right for me. That little thing in that little area kind of got me. And I was like, oh. <laughs> now, what we could do is we could say, oh, come on, Noel, that's no big deal. That's not a big deal. You've seen things worse than that. Things different than that. So you have a brother. You already know about those things. There's a problem. But my liberty is not the priority. My freedom is not the priority. The priority is the spiritual growth of another Christian. Now, this just happens to be my daughter, but really she's just a sister in Christ. And so my priority is to that. And so there are many movies that our family has not seen. Sometimes when Noelle and her mom are off doing something, Caleb and I sneak in a movie that we want to watch. <laughs> but if it's together as a family, we limit ourselves 
to what is within Noel's conscience. Okay, so take that and apply that to your relationships with other Christians. Do that. Whew. That's a pretty high calling, but it is an abuse of your freedom to encourage others to go against their conscience, even if it's a not a big deal to you. And I know there's some people in this room, I know you won't sit, wouldn't say it out loud, be like, come on, I'm not giving up my stuff. They need to get over their weirdism. They need to get over that problem. I'm not giving it up. Perfect. This next one's for you, okay? The next way to abuse your liberty is to demand your right to that liberty, to demand your right to that freedom, Draw your attention to verse 16 of Romans 14. These are some of the greatest verses on this topic, these two. Verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not let what for you is a good thing, like your Christian liberty. You know, that, that's a good thing, your freedom to decide. Okay? That's a good thing. That's the topic that we're on right now. Therefore, don't let what is a good thing for you, be spoken of as evil. Don't let it be abused to the point that other people are talking about how that is wrong, that isn't right, that it shouldn't be like that. And that was what was happening in this Roman church. There were either people on the inside or people probably on the outside that knew about this division in the Roman church and were talking about how the liberty that these Christians have is actually causing division among them, and it shouldn't be like that. It's wrong for this thing that's good for you to be spoken of as evil because you're abusing it, and so that's why people are talking bad about it. Now, these next two verses are very soft and loving, but make a very good point. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is a very soft way of saying that the the Christian who must do this thing that he's at liberty to do, the Christian who demands that he do this thing that he's free to, to do at the, at the cost of someone uh, stumbling, at the, at the cost of someone being offended, he demands his right to, to do that. He is in bondage to that very thing. You say, well, I'm free to do it. You're not free if you can't give it up just for a day for that person. You're not free. You are in bondage to it. You are in slavery to it. And Christ died to set you free. That's the point that it's making. If you think that the gospel and freedom is all wrapped up in your Christian life about what you can eat, you're wrong. That's what he's saying. If you think your Christian life and the gospel is all wrapped up in what you can drink, you got it wrong. If you think that the gospel that has saved you is all wrapped up in dancing or who you swim with or the video games that you play or the movies that you watch and you demand your liberty to do those things, you have it all wrong. That's an abuse of your liberty because now people are talking bad about you from the outside in because there's this division because you guys can't agree. You guys can't love each other in the middle of those things. And so there are going to be some times when you as a Christian are going to forego your liberty for the sake of somebody else. There are going to be certain people that when you spend time around them, you're not going to do the thing that you're free to do for their sake. And if you demand, I, I, just can't, I can't go one day without it. You are now a slave to it. And so there goes the whole thing. You are free. You see what he's saying? And so that's why these kind of go in order. If you can't give it up for a day for the sake of someone else, for the sake of someone else's conscience, you are a slave to that very thing. And now that's not even healthy for you. It would be an abuse, and that's obviously what some people on the outsiders began to see in this church. And the last way to abuse your liberty is to flaunt your Christian liberty, to flaunt it. Maybe modern vernacular is rub it in someone's face, rub it in someone's face. Look at verse 22 of Romans 14. Verse 22 says, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. 
Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Probably a way that you could remember this is whatever you believe about fill in the blank, gray area, not clarified in scripture, whatever you believe about fill in the blank, keep it between you and God. Whatever you believe about fill in the blank, keep it between you and God. Whatever you believe about the movies that you watch, keep it between you and God. Whatever you believe about the clothing that you're going to wear, keep it between you and God. Whatever you believe about uh, tattoos, keep it between you and God, right? You have no problem with tattoos. As a matter of fact, this verse says that you're happy to get your tattoo because there's no conviction in your heart to get the tattoo. The Holy Spirit has not convicted you. You have a clear conscience in this area. Absolutely no worries in going to get that tattoo. You have no problems with it. You're happy to do it. But there are other people, there are other Christians who are starkly opposed. For them, it's a, it's a, it's a tie to a previous life. And they've decided that tattoos are wrong. And so don't flaunt your freedom for someone who's decided to restrict themselves. Just uh, last last weekend, um, our pastoral staff went up to Fresno. Uh, We have a ministry in Fresno that we support Hope Now for Youth, and we went up there to visit Roger Feenstra and Bryce, who who run Hope Now for Youth. Uh, If you're not familiar with Hope Now for Youth, it is an amazing organization. When you give financially here to Grace, it allows us to support them, and we support them heavily. Uh, They are a ministry that reaches uh, kind of the 17 to 25 age range young guy. Uh, They are out of the California Youth Authority. They're felons. They're out of prison. Uh, They're in gangs. And this ministry, Hope Now for Youth, offers jobs to these guys. They train them, they develop them, and then they give them jobs because they have so many connections in Fresno. They have hundreds of young guys that are working within Fresno. And so they go out and they take a card and they give a card to these guys that they find. I mean, they're guys that would scare you to death. If you saw them in the parking lot or a food for less, you'd roll up your windows, lock your door, step on the gas. I mean, tattoos on face and, you know, things sticking through their ears and nose, guns, knives. They're on TV with car chases, uh, robberies, drug deals. I mean, these, these guys. I have no idea how God finds the right guy, you know, for that card. But when they show up to get a job, Hope Now for Youth keeps their promise, and they begin to develop them to train. But every single training, they share the good news, the gospel of Jesus, every single time. And they develop that over time. They build uh, from not just a simple gospel to to the things in God's word and more truth in, in Christ. And so by the time they're ready for a job, they've heard a lot and have been developed a lot in the things of God too. Now, there's no requirement that anybody gets saved to get the job. They follow through on their promise with any guy, but who doesn't need Jesus, you know? And so these guys are coming from lives that you would never imagine. These are guys that you would never even talk to, and yet because of your faithful, sacrificial giving here at Grace, we are reaching them for Jesus. And so last weekend, we go and hear these amazing stories of how these guys are getting saved I, I eat dinner with people who, who are saved and are working a job who, you know, used to rob people like me, you know? It's crazy. It's amazing. And at every single time I go up there and every, see pictures and stories, there's always something of pictures of these guys who are having their tattoos removed. Why would they do that? Because they are the weaker ones. They're brand new to their faith, and God is still developing them. And they tie their tattoos all over their body to their previous life. And they don't want to have anything to do with that anymore because they've been saved out of it. They're so new and it's so raw. What else do they know to do? Get rid of that stuff. And so they go through the expense, and it's expensive. I mean, they're just trying to get basic entry-level jobs, and they spend their own money. They spend their own pain, laser removal on your face. And they come out with big old blotchy red marks and have to go back again to get it again. Usually they they do their face and their arms because those are the two places that are most noticeable, you know. And so they have those tattoos removed because of that. Now for you, you don't care. That's not your issue. You love tattoos, you'll go get them on vacation. You love it, okay? You love it. You love that needle being dragged through your skin, getting all bloody. You love it. It's so fun for you. 
It's just a joy to have that done. You see, there's differences. Let's say you have a, an Instagram account or you have a Facebook. Are you going to talk all about your tattoos on that Instagram account? The videos of you going to get it done and how proud you are and, and telling other people that they should go get one too and this is the place that you should go and, and all of that sort of thing, knowing that there are other Christians who is so far opposite from what anybody would want to do. And you might say, well, I can do whatever I want. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Well, yeah, you can, but you're abusing your liberty. You're rubbing it in their face. See, that's what this is about. Whatever you think about whatever topic, keep it between you and God. That's what's so great about verse 22. It says, have as your own conviction before God. You need to decide what's right for you. Knowing God's character, knowing who he is, it's revealed in scripture. Knowing what he's done for you. Put your faith and trust in Jesus, now essentially having his last name, being a child of God, adopted into the family, being an heir of things that are in heaven. Now everything that you know, now you need to go make your decision in this area that's not scripted in the Bible. You have to decide this. And there are going to be Christians that make the decision to get a tattoo for a million reasons. It looks cool. There's one reason. Um, it's my way to share Christ. I put a Bible verse right across my neck right there, you know. That's what my cousin did, you know. Boom, right there. Some people get a tattoo to cover up a, an old tattoo that they're embarrassed about from their previous life. So you can see that why there would be good reasons that people would decide to get a tattoo. But then there are also Christians who decide for a million reasons, a million different reasons, that they're not going to get a tattoo because they tie it to something that's wrong. Now, there's been lots of speculation at Grace Community Church about the reason why I wear long sleeve shirts. <laughs> I know. I hear the stories, okay? And there is some suspicion that the reason that I wear long sleeve shirts is because I'm completely tatted up and I want to <laughs> cover that up, okay? Uh, on this arm is all skulls and crossbones and, and flames, and over here is... Tanya's name with a heart spelled incorrectly right here, all right? That's, that's what's right there, right? Now, I don't, have a convi- I don't have any tattoos. I don't have a conviction against tattoos. I just have a conviction against pain. And so that's why I don't have any tattoos. But there are other Christians who have a conviction. They believe that it's wrong, that it associates with a subculture that is not appropriate for a believer to, to associate with. They'll even take some scripture out of the Old Testament that says don't put tattoo marks on your body, and they'll apply it today. And so you can see why some people would make the decision not to get a tattoo. But none of that bothers you. You can go get your tattoo because it says you're happy to do it because you have your own conviction before God. But you don't flaunt it And you certainly wouldn't encourage someone else to go get one. Oh, I mean, it's just a little small one. I mean, who could just get one on the back of your hand? Just get one on your back. No one sees it. No one sees it on your ankles. No big deal, right? You can see how that goes. You say, well, how would I know if I would be encouraging someone else or not? Well, that's where Christians have to be sensitive to each other. If someone that you're talking to has no tattoos on their body, you just might want to take the hint and shut up about your tattoos, Okay. But apply that to so many different areas, music and drinking and smoking, so many different areas. You take the hint, you know, be sensitive to the people that are around you. And so these are ways that you could abuse. Now, I'm not trying to give you ideas on how to abuse your liberty, all right? I'm not saying, hey, here's how you go do it. But if you were going to go do it, this is how you do it. I don't want you to. Paul doesn't want the Romans to abuse it. So we... We don't abuse, we welcome people who, who think different things than us. As a matter of fact, when you get around people, kind of been thinking about, you know, I don't want them in my group because, I don't want them in my small group because, invite someone who votes differently than you to your small group. It will help you grow as a Christian. We want to encourage people to follow their conscience, driven by God's Holy Spirit. We don't want to encourage others to go against it. We don't want to demand our right to liberty, even at the expense of other people's, them being hurt, 
them uh, having a stumbling block put in front of them because they're not sure. See, you don't know. When you're around people and you have people at your party, you don't know what, what people's issues are or not. And so sometimes because the people that you're around or because of the event that you're holding, you forego the things that you do have a liberty to participate in and certainly don't rub it in someone's face. We know even from patriotic liberty that um, in our country, we know that people have to fight. That's what the whole intro is about, people fighting for liberty. And that's what Galatians 1.5 says, stand firm in this thing called liberty. We need to guard, we need to fight for this thing called Christian liberty. We also know here in the U.S. that it takes people to die for liberty. We understand that. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the one that has died for our freedom. Jesus, who was God eternal in the past, God eternal in the future, he came to earth in human body to die on the cross to set you free from sin. When I say sin, something you do you shouldn't do, something you say you shouldn't say, something you think you shouldn't think, Jesus came to set you free from that. He rose from the grave three days later proving that he could actually do what he promises. And so maybe you're here today and you are enslaved to sin. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's never washed your sins away and you know that you need eternity in heaven. And I'm glad that you're here today because you came and you heard this simple truth, the gospel of Jesus, just like those guys here in Fresno. And you might want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today. When I say Lord and Savior, I mean the one who saves you from your sin, washes all your sin away, and then becomes your Lord, leads you and guides you in your life. And maybe you'd like to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior today. And I'm going to give you at least the opportunity to consider these things before God. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning for just a minute. And when you bow your heads and you close your eyes, it just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you. That's it. And in this moment of time, maybe you'd like to put your faith in this Jesus. You need your sins to be forgiven. You need your sins to be washed away because you know that you are enslaved to your sin. And if you know that that's the case, this is all you would need to say to God. He, he knows what your heart is thinking. He knows your mind. You don't need to say anything out loud. But in the quietness of your own heart, here's what you could say to God. God, I know that I've sinned. I've done things I shouldn't have done. And I know that I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is the one that is the Savior. I believe that he is God. I believe that he died on the cross paying for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave. And now he offers me freedom from that sin. So I put my faith and trust, my belief in this Jesus I need him to be the one that rescues and saves me. And with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, the promise is that God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and he will now be the conviction. He will now be the one that will help you guide, make these decisions in all these gray areas of your life. Now many of you are already believers and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and I know you have opinions and though you might recognize something in those four, you might identify with something in those four that you've been doing and you realize that um, it's not appropriate. So this is just a way for you to recalibrate with the things of God. This is what spiritual growth is like, spiritual maturity. You hear something that you, you, you want to apply to your life and so now you're going to do that. You're going to say, I'm sorry, God, I shouldn't do that. Help me to do the other thing. So simple prayer of God, I'm sorry that I have Maybe it's I've encouraged other Christians to do things they, they probably shouldn't have been doing, that I've been flaunting my freedom in front of somebody else. I'm sorry for abusing this thing that you've given me. I pray that you'd help me to live in unity with people who think differently than me and love them too. And I pray that you would help mature me in this process. God, we thank you for your word and your promise to develop Christians who want to learn and love you. We praise you for that, and we pray that today is just another drop in your great big bucket of the way that you are developing our church. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.